0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Litmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin this episode by turning to Romans chapter 15 and looking at verse 4. There we find, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, while we were no longer under the Old Testament today, as far as authority for our religious beliefs and practices are concerned, it is still the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul tells us that the things that are written therein are written for our learning. There is much to be learned from the Old Testament, much to be gleaned from that. many many very important lessons are contained in its pages that will help us to be better Christians and help us to walk more perfectly in the footsteps of Jesus. In this episode I want to focus our attention on the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament canon. The time frame that it deals with is approximately 445 to 400 BC. The name Malachi simply means angel of the Lord. The book was written during the period of Israel's decline, and it offers many strong reproofs. The entire book cries out against hypocrisy and the religion of form, but not substance. The writer is pleading with Israel to stop play-acting in their worship and service to God. The way that I want to examine the book in this episode is simply to consider the passages that use the word wherein. We will find six of them, and we'll make application of them to our present time. It is amazing how well they apply today. So we begin by turning to Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2. The passage says, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say wherein has thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob? Notice that Israel said, Wherein hast thou loved us? All the people of Israel had to do was look around them to see wherein God had loved them. There was no direction in which they could look that did not contain abundant evidence of the love and providential care of God. James 1 verse 17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. Israel had been delivered from Egyptian bondage because of God's love. They had been fed and protected in the wilderness wandering. Eventually God brought them into the promised land, the choice land of Canaan, the land described as flowing with milk and honey. Israel was the espoused people of God, and they had prospered abundantly when they had been obedient. Now they had the audacity to ask, Wherein hast thou loved us? My friends, isn't this the same attitude displayed by so many today? People walk around acting as if God has not manifested his love toward us in any way. And beyond that, they walk around as if he ought to get busy and do it. However, the earth abounds with ample evidence of the love of God and his concern. Just think of the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink, and on and on and on we could go. These manifestations of God's love are important, but they are not the most important. God's word reveals a manifestation of his love that is being continually rejected by the masses. John chapter 3 verse 16 tells us, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we think about that great gift, how can anyone ask, Wherein hast thou loved us? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our Lord Jesus demonstrated the love of God and the sacrifice that he was willing to make. In John 15 and verse 13, we are told, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. How is it that today, just like the Israelites of old, people can continue to walk around and by their conduct say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Let's stay in chapter 1 of Malachi and move on down to verse 6. We find, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And you say, Wherein have we despised thy name? They asked that question, Wherein have we despised thy name? But God pointed out that a son gives honor to his father, but they did not honor him. A servant honors his master, but they had not honored him as their master. They were completely dependent upon God, but refused to confess their dependency. They offered God no offering of praise for what he constantly did for them, they despised his name by not honoring and respecting his word. Is it even necessary to draw the analogy to today? There are multitudes who despise the name of the Lord. It was promised in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins but that name is despised by all who refuse the salvation on the terms he outlined or who offer salvation on any other terms. Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus ordained that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name, beginning from Jerusalem in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. Peter commanded people to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Paul taught in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Acting on any other authority in the area of religion despises the name of the Lord. Failure to obey the authoritative commands of the Lord also despises that name. In the very next verse of Malachi, chapter 1 and verse 7, we find, You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. In verse 8, God gives his grievance against them. He said, And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, says the Lord of hosts? You see, the people would give their very best to the governor, but then palm off on the blind, the low, halt, and the lame to God. God knew their hearts. He knew that they offered stale, moldy bread that they would not eat. He recognized lame, crippled sacrifice that they didn't want to keep. The people sought a just-get-by religion, a devote as little as possible religion, and God wouldn't have it. Today, again, so many are trying to give God the least little bit that they can. Some want to serve Satan all of their lives, and then, as they're lying on their deathbeds, seek to shift their allegiance to God for eternal salvation. They want a religion that is nothing more than a fire escape from hell, and it doesn't work that way. Even the government is treated better. Taxes are paid on time, but nothing is given to God who has given it all. Many who claim to be Christians offer unto God that which is polluted and moldy and say to him, that's all you're going to get. My friends, when we offer unto God that which we can easily do without, what have we sacrificed? We must cultivate the spirit of David, which he expressed in this way in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24. David said, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God, Of that which does cough mean nothing. Ours is a polluted service when we give less than our very best unto God. Going back to Malachi, this time chapter 2 and verse 17, we find, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, Wherein have we wearied him? When you say, Everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or, Where is the God of judgment? God had shown these people that they wearied him with their vain words and their lying vows. They had treated marriage lightly and dealt treacherously with their wives. They had ignored the words of the Lord as pointed out in verse 16 of the same chapter. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says he hates putting away or divorce. They condoned evil and tried to justify those who were wicked. God would not allow them to pass judgment in his stead. The commonness of sin led them to sanction the way of error. But God was tired, sick and tired, wearied by their soft soap and their compromise. Today the Lord is wearied by those who sop soap and compromise. We tend to judge by prevalent morals and today's social standards, but God uses another standard for measuring. He expressed this this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Our society has become accustomed to putting away or divorce, so much so that divorce and remarriage for any reason has become the accepted way of life. But God still says from the beginning it was not so. We make excuses today for religious error and the false prophets who espouse them and say, well, look at all the good that they're doing. But God speaks in a different tone in 2 John 9-11. through He said, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him godspeed speed. For he that biddeth him godspeed speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. We must be careful that we are not guilty of wearying God. There are two more of those whereins in Malachi. Look at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. We find this. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee, in tithes and offerings? Quite frankly, Israel had withheld their tithes and offerings that were due. They thought that they could shortchange God, and that he would be none the wiser. They were wrong. Perhaps you remember that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit in the vain attempt to keep that which they pretended to give to the Lord. And then, of course, Judas sold the Lord for thirty pieces of silver. Today men seek to rob God of their influence, their time, and their energies. Back in Malachi chapter 3, this time verse 10, we find, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in thine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up to you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Surely the same principle holds true today. If we will act toward God in the manner in which we should, he will open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings that we won't have room to stack them all. The spiritual blessings will be ours. Surely no sane man will contend that it is a good thing to try to rob God. We receive all good things from him, Surely we must give him our best in return. We must give of our means, to be sure. But most of all, we must give first of ourselves. Finally, from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7, we find, Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord. But you say, Wherein shall we return? You see, my friends, the Lord offered Israel a glorious opportunity to make things right. He said, Return unto me, and I will return unto you. But they said, Wherein shall we return? Well, God had shown them the shabbiness with which the priest had polluted his table, defamed his worship, condoned evil and wickedness, and had dishonored his name. Yet they still asked, wherein shall we return? God was calling upon them to worship him in the way he set forth and to do so from a feeling of heartfelt devotion. But they felt that rituals and formalities, going through the motions, was enough. God was calling on them to quit playing at religion and truly serve him. That's the only way it's going to work. Today, the same issue calls forth. We cannot play at religion. We cannot do things in religion our way or simply go through the motions and expect God to be pleased. We departed from God, each one of us, when we sinned. It is up to us to return to God by complete and humble obedience. The way home is there, ours is but to reach out and take it.